Welcome back to the Millennial Pastors Podcast. I'm Michaela Johnson. And I'm Caleb Haynes. And we're your guest co-hosts for season 10. We're here having conversations around creation care and what it means to be Christian on planet Earth. Over this season, we'll be chatting with scientists, theologians, and other Christians who are doing the work of Earth care in their specific context. So we hope that this will bear fruit for you and your ministry and your work in the world. I'm sitting down here with one of my favorite people, uh, Reverend Dr. Uh, Deirdre Brower Letts, one of the people who gives me a lot of hope in the world. And uh, yeah, and uh, she is most known as principal of Nazarene Theological College, an ordained elder within the Church of the Nazarene. And I think you've got farming roots, uh, if I remember, and uh, but currently more immersed in urban living. Uh, is passionate, uh, self-proclaimed passionate about creation care as a part of God's love for the world. And uh, yeah, so thank you for uh, taking some time to sit down with me here. It's a pleasure. Thank you for the introduction. Yeah, absolutely. I was a little sad when I found out that your dog Caval wasn't going to be with us as well, but yeah, no, we'll have to... Adolescent mood, right? Yeah, yeah. No problem. (laughs) It's your banana, so yeah. 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 Cheeky. Yeah. Cheeky dog. Uh, Yeah. Well, wonderful. Well, maybe we could just start by uh, you telling us a little bit more about how you got here, uh, as in, uh, right, in your 20s. um, No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Well, you could be, I suppose. Uh, Here at NTC, uh, Nazarene, and Manchester, right? So what? what's a little bit of, of, your, of your story here with us? Well, so the thread of my story goes back to Canada. So that's my roots, a Canadian mm. and farming country, northern Alberta, mm. in the west of Canada. Mm. And my dad and my dad's dad and my dad's dad's dad were all farmers. Mm particularly dairy farmers, but also a little bit of arable farming. And my grandpa in particular is one of the formative figures for me. And he was a tree planter on the prairies. So like Mm. he farmed, but every year he spent time planting farms, uh, planting trees around the edge of the farm as windbreak and as soil keepers. And so I suppose the kind of interweaving of land and life is kind of deep in me. My grandma planted an enormous garden. So my earliest memories are from being very, very tiny, where my mum is a school teacher, was a school teacher, and had to go back to work about three weeks after I was born. And my dad and grandparents were farming. So I was schlepped around the farm uh, by family members. Mm. And so I remember tastes and sounds and things really early, raspberries off the Mm. bush and playing in the dirt while other people did important things Mm. and stuff like that. And then my dad felt a call to study theology or the Bible further. And he wrote speculatively to a professor in the UK Mm. asking if he could do his PhD with him. And the answer was, if you pass Greek and can get to Manchester, um, yep, I'll take you on to study the Gospel of Mark. Oh, wow. And so he 
past Greek and my family relocated from Alberta to the UK for my dad to do his PhD. So that was when I was tiny. Oh, wow. And then we went back to Canada uh, when my dad finished. And so it's mm. kind of a very hybridized life back and forth all the time. And mm. um, very transatlantic world, urban. Yeah, like when they came in the 70s, I was little. I don't remember much of Manchester then, but I do remember thick, thick fog. Pea supers, they used to be called, because they were loaded with coal particles mm. in the air here. And so Manchester was black as a city, mm. every building, and which has now mm. been sandblasted clean. Oh, wow. That's but it amazing. was, yeah, it's just a really, mm. really urban environment. And mm. so the two kind of worlds colliding, but I suppose a sense always that, like creation matters and so in the summers as I was growing up like a lot of farm families I ended up working on the farm and so my earliest job was as a dairy maid in the calf barn and dairy maid and so I did that for years and so then and um, the sentiency of animals and so I was an early avowed vegetarian because my favorite cow called Winnie uh, went missing from the barn mm. and then I, my mum and I went and picked up a load of meat at Herman the Butcher's mm. and I was suddenly traumatised by realising that this animal that was my friend mm. might be in the back of the half ton. That's right. And yeah, you know, just some interesting little twists and turns that made me who I am. Mm. All of that time though, my dad's dad's family... Um, were early participants in the Church of the Nazarene in a place called Didsbury in Alberta. Mm. And then when my grandpa relocated north to Wainwright, Alberta, um, he helped plant a Nazarene church in Wainwright. And so my dad grew up within the Nazarene denomination. It was mm -hmm. like a proper little holiness church led by two women, Miss Claire and Miss Pryor. Oh, oh wow. So, yeah, so deep in my, my ancestry, there's a kind of planting, settling, farming, pioneering, um, women as equal neighbors, mm. both in a farm sense and a, mm. a harvest for the gospel sense yeah. of that. And a kind of interweaving of lifeblood and travel. There's lots of things there that kind of still informed me. And on my mum's side, my grandparents were missionaries. Mm. And so when I was little, they were firstly in um, South Africa under the apartheid regime as Nazarene missionaries. And then later on, my grandfather became a district superintendent in the Church of the Nazarene, both in Canada, in Halifax, on the mm. Nova Scotia, and in Indiana, Marion, Indiana. Uh, oh, yeah. So... um. The Nazarene bit of me has kind of sliced me in half and I've got some Nazarene blood, mm. I guess. And I've stuck with it. Um, mm. uh, I, I like to think of myself in the British parliamentary system as Love. royal opposition. Okay. Um, where, you know, in, in a British sense, mm. you can be entirely loyal to the queen and country and your job as a loyalist is to ask good questions of the mm. people in charge because they're in charge for all of us. And so mm. 
I guess I've spent a lot of my life kind of wrestling with the questions that I think are really significant. Apartheid is huge in my thinking because I think the Nazarene church got it so badly wrong. Um, it was quite acquiescent in a system in order to survive. And so that's meant I've always asked myself, well, you know, if good people can be involved in systems that are really not good, how do we guard ourselves against that? How do we look at our blind spots? How do we challenge our thinking? How do we ask good questions? How do we lament when we get it wrong? How do we find ways of raging against mm. oppression? And I guess that kind of leads me to the creation stuff, which is, you know, when the earth cries out, when stones cry out, they cry out in pain and in suffering as well as in praise and in glory. Mm. And so how do we line ourselves up with Moses and Aaron and Miriam or, mm. you know, whoever? you might want to look at in exodus modes and say mm. how do we how do we operate on the side of the exploited and oppressed including the land and all of its peoples in whatever form that takes so that's kind of a nutshell yeah. does that work yeah. <laughs> <laughs> quite a lot but you know a lot of my present is really mm. informed by my past um you know, and then my own research was in the church and expressions of justice. Right. Because I was really preoccupied. I'd been a, a pastor in urban Manchester and I'm still involved in the church I pastored for um, over a decade. And like the questions there of, you know, what does it mean to be Wesleyan, holiness people, evangelical and open and really grapple with what it means to be part of God's transforming presence in a place. Mm. And that led me to lots of questions for my PhD around Wesleyan theology and justice. And what did Wesley do or say or think? Ryan. And actually I mapped on kind of a historical piece of the 18th century world with the 21st century to say what are the similarities and differences. And one of the things, if you're a Wesley geek, is that Wesley was like all about creation and ecology in his day, you know, not as a 21st century person, but he was actually really astute and attuned to animal well-being, to human well-being, to the engagement of living well and your environment, your health mm. and suffering and alleviating suffering, all of those kinds of things that are very much part of our theological framework, I think. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. No, it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love hearing you talk about uh, even the juxtaposition of your childhood and kind of being on the farm and then being in this urban setting. Uh, was that pretty difficult? I guess, you know, like, did you find yourself kind of with a longing there? Yeah. Um, yeah. All my life. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. And I think, um, my husband and I talk a lot about like what makes me well because mm. at various points I've had clinical depression mm. and one of the things that has become really obvious about me and my being is that in order for me to be most well I need to be outside I need to touch earth and I need to engage with creation somehow or other Absolutely. 
And so kind of building that into my life. But I think probably that's just part of my earliest being, you know. Mm. Actually, I read a really lovely book by a practical theologian or about him. It was a kind of first shift, a collection of essays. Mm -hmm. His name is Richard Osmer. He's the practical theologian. And I couldn't to this day tell you what the essay was titled or anything, although I could point you to the book. But um, one of the essays asked you to ask yourself where your soul space was. And the author contended that the first five years probably inform our place of peace in more ways than we realize. And so if you kind of close your eyes and imagine the environment of your first five years, that's kind of what you attune to naturally mm. for peace. And I've often thought, oh, that's just so true of me, like being outside next to wild places. Mm. Yeah. That that speaks to my soul like nothing else does. Yeah. And then also the kind of inv- urban setting, like one of the things there is about the discipline of learning to see weeds as beautiful, trees uh, as glorious you know like what does it mean in this space so we're in my study in Manchester and actually the college is set on five and a half acres of quite lovely ground but Manchester itself is an industrial city right and so you know how do you see it as beautiful what does Mm -hmm. that mean how do you find beauty in it create it give people opportunity to engage with it a lot of Brits it's really important to have a little bit of land mm. um, and the allotment movement in Britain, which is a gardening movement, is okay. quite strong. There's a waiting list for allotments, which is parcels of land a city will set aside for people to farm oh, wow. for a garden. Right? Sure, yeah. You know, veg, sure, yeah. potatoes, stuff like that. And so one of the things we've done at the college is we've got allotments for the community that mm. we set up here that some of our neighbors oh, dig in and use yeah because this space like how is it an offering that's right that offers beauty and peace and goodness to the the neighbors around it you know how yeah. do we cultivate that idea so it's kind of interesting like always asking how do you weave together the bits of your life and mm. your ethos to make it embed itself in reality wherever you are mm. and the church which is truly urban and we started an allotment project there as well okay. and we did it in partnership with a group called Barnabas which is a group of homeless people mm. and so homeless or people with lived experience of homelessness sure. come down and work on the allotment with volunteers from the church and grow mm. things and like one day I met two men outside the front door of the church called Sean and Frank, and they said to me, you'll never guess. And I was like, what's that? And they had a shopping bag full of potatoes. Mm-hmm. And they said, these are potatoes. And I was like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, they are. And I was a bit confused. And then I realized that both of them had been brought up on what's called smash in the UK, okay. which is a reconstituted it's dried potato in a tin yeah and you would put boiling water in it yeah Yeah, exactly and you would to make your food you put water in this and that was the potato they knew and so then they were like here's a thing full of potatoes and so we then made mashed potato from scratch Mm. and they're just like it's like ambrosia (laughs) oh wow i love that i think we've got you know to be so creative with um 
especially those urban spaces and and what does it mean that we we find i think some of the work of the church reclaiming those spaces in those ways yeah and honestly i i think that a lot of people you know maybe this is presumptuous to to say but i, I think a lot of people are are really hungry well quite literally hungry for actual potatoes but you know really hungry to connect with the land to put their hand in the in the soil you know i i'm very tempted to say that that's um perhaps part of the divine fingerprint that yeah. that is on our on our on our lives you know i mean obviously if we go back to genesis right we find that we are created from the atama mm-hmm. and from the earth mm-hmm. right and how much of that uh right how much of that dust is still on our shoulders right how much of how much of that uh, really is, is within us, and and I always I always grieve uh, when I talk to someone who's like I don't really need to spend any time in nature, you know. And it's like that's really interesting to, to think about, and you know, and who am I to say, well, that's not true or something? Yeah. But um, because I really do, you know, believe. I mean, I guess personally, I share a similar story of like I, you know, I I grew up in a very rural place, and mm-hmm. and it's very energizing for me to. Uh, you know, put my feet in the ground and that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, I, I think that there, I think that there's something m- more there that, um, you know, that we don't name often enough of, uh, and there's an empowerment piece, I think too, you know, if you're someone that you can find that, oh, like I can interact with the ground in such a way that they can bring me, f- bring me food. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't know I could do that or, you know, I, d- I didn't know that this was this good. Um, yeah, and, and dispelling the fear, maybe. So, like, what strikes me here, not so much in Canada or America, because space is so much wider right. there. But, like, in the UK, we're a tiny country mm-hmm. with a lot of people, and particularly in kind of more impoverished areas, very little ground. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't have a garden. You would have a, a house that steps onto the street and a concrete yard in the back and so you wouldn't necessarily ever encounter green really other than in a public park which is maintained for you and so I think actually a lot of people feel I mean disempowered to use your kind of language or frightened because it's alien yeah or like timid or stupid like you know, it's really interesting. So one of our faculty members grew up in an urban environment and he and I talk a lot about, like, he didn't he didn't know what a raspberry bush looked like. Mm-hmm. He didn't know how potatoes grew, really. I mean, he might have had some kind of vague notion. Sure. But he didn't understand about planting cycles or, mm. or companion plants or, sure. you know, it was just... Yeah. it, And so he felt stupid and so like you almost need a companion right like to say actually let's do this together and because he loves his child he's like i really want to learn this and we've got this allotment Mm -hmm. um and he's like maybe we could have an allotment too and work with one of the other people Mm -hmm. on the team here who does know what they're doing so that it's not a failure experience as well it's been really interesting because it's an alien environment to him and you know you think the flip is true all the time isn't it if you're super rural and you come into a city it feels alien sure how do you catch a bus yeah 
what does an underground system look like? How do you read the maps? You know, there's all of these things that are just natural instinctive codes. And the flip of that for urban people, like how do you, how do you dig the ground? How do you nurture it? What's a planting season? Yeah. How does something grow? How quickly does it grow? How do you harvest it? And what do you do when you do harvest it? Yeah. Okay, so. And you can keep like so, yeah. the, 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 you know, the well is as deep as you want to yeah. dip from. Yeah. And uh, yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it, it is obviously very rich and, and deep and, um, and yeah. And, and the flip side of that, you've mentioned a couple of times of like, what does it mean that we walk out the door in this urban space and that that's creation as well? And I know that's been a challenge for me uh, thinking through like, uh, you know, if I live in, so, you know, I'm in Nashville, it's urban. Uh, There's probably more green space than, you know, downtown Manchester or something. But uh, right. What does it mean that this building that I'm touching or this place that I, am or this road even is part of creation mm-hmm. and I, and thinking along the lines of creation care i think those are dots that uh we we maybe haven't connected very well mm-hmm. historically or or they're harder to connect mm-hmm. uh right caring for this um object over here this you know be it a chair or a coffee maker or whatever that is yeah. right mm-hmm. as as now right something encapsulated within creation that's brought out from it yeah. and and from the ground and from the rock yeah. and uh that's that's interesting. Interesting. that whole like revelation as the city right you know mm-hmm. the kind of here's what it looks like to mm-hmm. be in a good place i mean i read something re- recently and i don't i don't remember where it was talking about gold as a material and saying, you know, when we talk about the streets paved with gold, oh right, that actually gold is valued in the right way. It's it's simply a material now, but it's appreciated for beauty and use, and mm. but but isn't violent any longer. It's that kind of notion mm. of the city, and then the city as a place of cleanness, clean rivers running through it, fruitfulness, all of that stuff. But the city as almost sacramental sometimes so you know in the communion service where you say like the bread that human hands have created but god has gifted Mm -hmm. like that notion to think of a city as a place that god's gifted us with the land the space the knowledge that human hands have created this there can be something sacramental about it it's just we quite often don't do that or beauty is um, we're trying to think we limit our beauty to wealth so like if the poorest of places were treated with the care and attention and crafted for beauty what would that do to our societies mm. so like I don't know but I'm kind of compelled you know when you're giving things away to charity I think people in America do that Like we don't do that like when you're when you're giving something away because you no longer want it yeah there's like ways of discarding isn't there there's discarding stuff that's ruinous Mm. and you pass it on because it's just like it's worthless to you or there's ways of gifting something that says actually i have surplus and so i can give this perfectly good thing to someone else for their benefit 
And I guess I think I wish we somehow could like capture our imaginations well enough to say everything that we do, if it's a housing officer or building houses, if it's architecture or creating space for people to live in, if it's schools for poor children uh, from impoverished backgrounds. And again, I've said that all wrong because I hate kind of labeling people as poor children and they're children whose lived experience is poor economically but the wealth of their being like we honor that in them or we should and so how do we as a church and so even in our church spaces um the first church i ever went to was derelict when i went when i arrived it was um it had like bramble bushes like prickly thorn bushes growing up all around it Uh just wild yeah and it had an iron gate and one of the gates was missing one half of it was missing and the other one was falling off oh wow and all the paint was peeling and it Mm. just looked unloved and so like for the first several months what i did in the building in fact i met my mum outside it and she said oh I didn't know this building, this church was derelict, dear Joan. Mm. I was like, no, mum, this is still the church building. But people were tired. I'm like, the building mirrored the spirit, right? It was like that. It was just, and so the first several months, all we did was like remove weeds, paint, Mm. garden, Mm. restore, create something that said to people in the place we value you. And this is how we value, like we yeah. demonstrate and display that we value you and what we're doing with our physical material. Absolutely. Stuff. Yeah. Uh, I think there's some yeah. in that for the church. Absolutely. Well, obviously, uh, right, the, what what's outward should reflect what's inward, yeah. right? And, and the materiality of our faith, right, which I would venture to say is everything. Yeah. Uh, should uh, right should reflect um, what we believe about God, what we believe about you know what God is up to in the world. Uh, but I, I love that story. Did that? How how was the congregation like responsive to that? Or was there energy there? Oh yeah, and they were such a beautiful group of people. They were just tired mm. and had had a pretty rough run of it. Yeah, and actually, I mean, I was I was there for quite a while, and ultimately that congregation closed. Mm. It's an, it's a story for a different time. Sure. But it was like in Nazarene terms, like, you know, if you're ticking boxes of growth and numbers mm. and all that, it was a pretty abject failure. Everybody I visited in the first three months in nursing homes died. And so the, I was like a serial killer. <laughs> oh, I visited an old person, they died. <laughs> but, it, oh, well, you know, there was a lot. It was pretty tricky, but actually... The congregation, I think God did a work there of restoration and healing in people that needed it, even though ultimately, for good reason, I think, the church decided to send those people to other congregations locally. What happened was, I think, the outward shifts and the energy and the pride began to do something in people as well as what was happening within the life of the congregation in prayer or worship or preaching Mm. or openness and vulnerability. And there are some lovely things. So like um, when I went, the (laughs) 
there was a huge pulpit. You know, it's like one of the very traditional churches with a high pulpit up some stairs. Oh, yeah. And, you know, six people sure. in 50 seats kind oh, of laid out, yeah. 25 on each side. And uh-huh. so I just resolutely put loads of chairs away and made a little semicircle and mm-hmm. used a table and some books on it to, mm. to chat, to talk from kind of a thing. Right. And one of the members of the congregation had been quite harmed by his Christian experience and had kind of stuck with church, but came late, left early, and was really, really lovely human and had become a carpenter after he'd finished his ministry. And one Easter, he surprised me at church. Like over time, you know, he, he and his wife began to in, engage differently and just really beautiful salt of the earth Christians. But he surprised me at the door and I went in blindfolded to the congregation and he'd crafted a podium and a Bible stand for the ground level and a cross for the wall. And it was just, and it was just like this absolute moment as of gift and healing. Mm. And again, it like that creativity that engages yeah. in service that kind of demonstrates something about who we are, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I do think that there is a craving there to use our to put our hands to work, you know? Yeah. Um symbolic action, eh? Yeah. Absolutely. Which makes me think you know, we we're kind of alluded to earlier, right? Of you know, the streets of gold and where all this is going. And, you know, I think about, I forget who, who it is that writes about, you know, we, our story begins in, in Genesis and it's, you know, we're in this garden, right? But it, it seems to end in the city, yeah. uh, right, in the end, and that there's this 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 ongoing uh, building or development, if you want to call it, or creative work, you know, and and when I think about creation care, that's really what I think about a lot is this co-creative work with God that that we are invited into and that we are able to craft, right? And, you know, I love to think that perhaps this, this carved podium uh, finds its way into the eschaton yeah. somewhere. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I think, you know, that might sound audacious or something to think about, but I, I think that's a, that may be a helpful framework for us in thinking about that, um, you know, that, that, that what we create uh, here on earth, right, was bound on earth to be bound in heaven, right? Mm. That, that when Jesus sort of tosses us those keys, uh, right, that, um, that we have a, a way to sort of unlock it and or lock it and um anyway getting down a rabbit hole at this point no i like that i mean and i love that like the city's holy but it's a place of dwelling and it's a safe place and it's a good place and it's a healed place and it's got room for the bomb and Mm. you know this healing happened and your body will mirror wellness like there's just all of those things and i think the beauty of our story is the participatory nature of it right like you just said you know that we are wrapped up in it somehow and participating in new creation in the here and the now i think 
that's tricky and I guess I'm you know we were chatting before maybe we were recording I don't know about like rich people's questions um or problems and thinking about I'm quite aware that time is really tricky for poorer communities like if you work three jobs and have to travel across cities to work as a cleaner what does it mean for you to be liberated from exploitation and oppression so that your life can be as creative as you'd like it to be like there's something about that too I think hey like for us in our kind of middle class luxury worlds the gift that we've been given how do we hold it well and participate well with God and how do we construct our lives in such a way that others can always be invited into that mm. and so there's something there for me in creation care about like creation care as the earth and all its dwellers and so again the kind of touching points for me of like creation environment ecology ecosystems and human oppression and justice systems and always trying to say like these things come together like if you're oppressed you might have to mine right or if you're exploited you might have to pillage the land yeah and so how do you create frameworks in our thinking that would say actually we know what a healthy city looks like it's described for us it's your own shelter it's healthy marriage it's children who can thrive it's mm -hmm clean water in the rivers you know all that stuff yeah. so how do we nazarenes if you like or anybody <laughs> how do we put our shoulder to the plow of that vision mm. in some way so that it's all good ultimately isn't it like, yeah and in our little yeah. bits of the world how do we yeah do that? i love that i'd love to dig a, l a little bit more in that because i think underneath that as well you know, there's there's no shortage. I mean, to be honest, right? There's no shortage of um, ways that um, I th I think that or this that people get find hangups around creation care, mm -hmm. right? Just to really get down to it. And you know, one of the things that I that I hear sometimes is that isn't. Uh, isn't this sort of a distraction from the main thing, hmm. right? What what does what does this have to do with our salvation? What does this have to do with making Christ-like disciples in the nations, right? Hmm. And uh, and I actually love I love that question because it really does fling open the door. Um, yeah. But you know that just what you're seeing there kind of made me go there a little bit. But I'd love to hear just your reaction to that as I. Uh, it's such an alien thing to me. I mean, I appreciate that people resist ideas of creation care and all of that because they think it's bound up with political things. But I like if you think about Shalom as the wholeness of God's desire for us, you know, the world healed. And Howard Snyder has a lovely title of a book, I think, which is Salvation Means Creation Healed. Yes. Which is just a beautiful concept because, of course, it, it matters. Like in our economy and theology, it matters that 
you or I come to understand ourselves as beloved of God and able to be restored to the fullness of our humanity. Of course, of course. But also, we are embodied beings, yeah. earth, earthlings. Mm. And so in our earthlingness, that we are intimately interwoven with breath and air and water and mm. substance and matter. And so actually salvation as good news for the whole world mm. wraps that up in it. And so the question of like what makes a good city or what makes a good human or what means healing has come in all of its fullness, what does it mean that God reconciles all things? It has to somehow sweep up the globe and the cosmos. Yes. And so I think it's a false dichotomy. Like in some ways you almost don't want to entertain the question because it's the wrong question, I think. Like, right. no, this is not mm. oppositional and it's not a figment mm. and it's not a distraction. It's actually so empowering to think about what what's a way of having a good conversation with your neighbor? Wouldn't it be lovely if none of our children had childhood onset asthma because of air pollution? Mm. That's a great conversation mm. and God cares about that conversation. And so let's talk there you know, in a world where people are hyperly suspicious of Christians and of evangelicals particularly, I think this is life-giving, these conversations, mm -hmm. because they're about uh, God's love for humankind and the earth. You know, I just, yeah. it's tricky for me because I'm not from your context. And so I appreciate that there are economic and political and legal and social factors at work in the resistance to the idea of creation care. Mm. And there's also ways of interpreting the Bible at work mm. and individualism and sacrifice and cost. Because I think mm. sometimes it's true that if we take it really seriously, there's a genuine change in us that happens, I think. Mm. But yeah. It's the wrong question. Yeah, like right. salvation means yeah. what? Yeah. Salvation, wow. I, I kind of take your mm. soul mm. and I amplify it mm -hmm. by the magnitude of the earth mm -hmm. to say, yeah, you rest, your soul matters to Jesus and your yeah. body matters to Jesus and your mind and your muscle. Right. It all matters. And everything that you live in matters to Jesus yes. too. I love it. It's that, isn't it? Yeah. It's just good news. Like, right. What does yeah, good news creation. look like? All in creation yeah. caught yes. up in this. And, yes. and I think it's just lovely. And the kind of dream of that is mm -hmm. part of what helps us carry on, I think. Yeah, absolutely. The, the vision. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I, I think once you begin talking for so long around thinking around this sort of individualized, and even just very spiritual kind of salvation, um, you can get down that hole for, for so long and these conversations can sound very foreign, right? And I mean, um, you know, you can do a quick poll and, and it, uh, it, it easily comes back of, of, of people telling you that, you know, they grew up in the church but never heard one sermon on creation care, uh, right, in that, in that whole time. Uh, and so, um, 
I don't think we should be too surprised uh, and depending on your context to 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 find that it, it's taking us a little more work to wade back into the water mm. um, mm. you know especially in a time and age where everything is very individually mm. catered mm. to us and we sort of lose grip that uh, yeah what I mean what would salvation look like with without you know, who, who would we be declaring God to be if if God were a God who left out all of everything else that, that God created, that this is not also an act of redemption and renewing and re- resurrection, you know, and, um, but, I, you know, because we, we are, as we're saying, like we are made of dirt and there there's nitrogen everywhere and there's nitrogen inside of me, yeah. right? There's hydrogen. Out, out there and I drink it and hydrogen is part of me. And so, uh, you know, Jesus has got some serious work to do if, you know, if, if we're, uh, if, if salvation is that parceled out. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and, and I think once you really start entertaining that thought and like l- looking back now, you know, it feels very like a shallow thing to, to assume that salvation is just something for, for us humans, right, who were, you know. Yeah, we've not been very good even at that, have we? So when we say that, we've often not counted everybody as fully human either. And so I think when you take the earth seriously and the breadth of it seriously, and then I think there is that sense that actually all of this that sweeps us up all of it that touches us um is for all humankind as well and so there's just a breadth to this way of thinking there's a physicist called carlos frank i don't know if you know him he does quantum Mm -hmm. physics and dark matter okay and uh he's just wonderful he's a believer He's mm-hmm. just a beautiful human, but he says the earth that we're made up of also has stardust in it. Yes. It's cosmic yes. as well as That's earth. right. Yeah. And so there's something about that too that I think is really powerful. Eh? Like mm. we are all caught up in this, in the whole of our being, but the expansive vision that God has is that all humans, all earth would come to fullness and wholeness and mm. holiness and goodness. Like, yeah. Something really rich in that. And I mean, you're right to say, or I think what you're kind of implying is that we also have to be compassionate about people who don't fully embrace that because it's hard to grasp or because you've been taught something different or you haven't read the Bible through the lens of the earth's mattering as much as it might. Right. Or you've started in a different place in your understanding of salvation. I think it's right to be merciful yeah. and compassionate too, but then it, I think it's also right to say, because I'm compassionate, I want to offer you something so much more than you ever thought about good news. Mm. Like, it widens it. Yeah, it's so much better. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. so much better. Yeah. So it's actually acknowledging the goodness. Like, for mm. people who've had a profound encounter with Jesus that's transformed their life as an individual, Mm. honoring that completely. Mm. And then also kind of moving to say, 
whilst honouring that, the embeddedness of you mm. in that earth widens this mercy to everybody and all things around you. That's right. Something like that. It's quite powerful. So yeah. Great. So I guess to, to turn a corner and, and try to wrap things up a little bit. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious, uh, you know, maybe what advice you might have for others, particularly, I suppose, for the, maybe the millennial pastor out there who wants to take steps into more ecological thinking and action, um, right in their ministry and life. Cool. Well, I mean, I suppose I think gravitate towards people who are thinking this way mm-hmm. and explore, excavate a bit. There's things like the amazing creation care group that Caleb Yeah, that's right. There's quite a lot of resources being written. I think in America, there's like an evangelical framework for creation care. And right. the UK, there's groups like our Russia, yeah. which is global, yeah. actually. There's international things with Tier Fund. There's loads of material and resource out there. You can do things like read the Bible through a green lens, you know, mm. and just look for the word land. Howard Snyder has some great books, or Randy Woodley, who is an indigenous theologian. Mm. Uh, so I think there's some things that you can look at and read and grapple with. We have an MA at the college yeah. here. Tell us about and, it. Well, I mean, Jeremy Kidwell is its main lecturer, but he's a free Methodist theologian who looks at ethics and environmentalism and is just a beautiful human he's infectious in his joy but it really tries to wrestle with theology and the issues around it actually what does it mean to live well what does it mean to frame your life but also what does it mean to grapple with some of these big questions in relation to god the world and how we live in it but you know i think if you are a pastor of any sort also go for walks outside that's right sit and breathe in the air take your socks off Mm. stand on grass Mm. do stuff that reminds you you're earthed and that sounds really woo woo but actually take the time to stop practice sabbath as an act of resistance as brueggemann says and form your life so that you can breathe in and breathe out well so that you can also sustain hope for the world for the long haul, because I think that's really hugely important. Mm, amen. That's so good. What a benediction. Uh, so I guess lastly, if you can, what 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 do you? What's something that you love most about God's creation? Oh I think I like to end on end on that. I just love to hear. You know, what do I love most? I mean, it doesn't have to be like an ultimate all time, but you know, what's What's something that's just like your jam? You know, I think creation is so merciful to us. Mm. Like that it feeds us Mm. and produces fruit recklessly and with abandon Mm. that is not just beautiful to look at, but is good to eat. Like I think creation itself longs to help us heal. Makes me sad to think about it sometimes because we're so mean. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think... It's so regenerative. Yeah, it, it's a miracle, isn't it? Yeah. Like every bit of it is miraculous. Yeah. That something that's put in the soil dies and grows. Mm. 
to to support and sustain mm-hmm. and keep and that it's so mysterious and so other and so beyond our can and yet we can taste and touch and feel and smell and mm. participate in it and that it's so endlessly mm. unknown and yet knowable yes. yeah so good yeah i like creation <laughs> Oh, thank you. I'm going to give you a hug. (laughs) Yeah, so good. Yeah, it's great. Thank you. The Millennial Pastor Podcast was created and produced by Byron Certain and Josiah Jones. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please be sure to rate, review, or subscribe and visit themillennialpastor.com for more podcasts like it.